I want you to imagine with me this morning, just put your place, yourself in the place, I should say, of the shepherds. These guys went out on that hillside that night in those fields outside of Bethlehem to do what they did day after day after day. And during the warm part of the year when they were out there with the sheep, they had to stay with them all night long. One of the translations is that they were living out in the field with the sheep, which is literally the case. They had to live out there with those sheep. And just think about hour after hour after hour of doing that, day after day, how boring and monotonous and tedious it got. And they're out there for another night. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to them. And we've seen all kinds of depictions of what that angel may have looked like, but it got their attention, whatever it looked like. And the angel brings this message to them that this long-awaited Messiah has been born. And then it says that the glory of the Lord surrounded them. The glory of God as it's pictured in Scripture is the, the grace of God, the love of God, the power of God, and often the manifestation of the glory of God in the Old Testament, which would have been the case flowing over here, is just sort of this brightness that surrounded them, but it was more than just a light. It was brightness packed with the presence of God. And the angels begin singing to them. How surprised they must have been. God loves to surprise us. And God loves to show up when we least expect it, in ways that we least expect it, and do often what we are not anticipating He's going to do. And the main thing the shepherds had to do is just drink the surprise in. Not run from it, not deny it, not hide from his surprise, but take in his surprise. Turn with me to Luke's Gospel chapter 2. Luke's Gospel chapter 2. As you turn there, let's look at some background as to where this story is taking place. The town of Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth only had about 150 residents, as best scholars can tell. Around Bethlehem, there's a valley that functions almost like an amphitheater, and the town itself sat on a ridge about 2,000 plus feet in height. The term Bethlehem, or the name Bethlehem, means house of bread. The town is located about six miles from Jerusalem. It was sort of a little tiny, out-of-the-way place. We think that the fields that are pictured in this story today have been encompassed by the growth of the town, which now numbers in the thousands, and so there's neighborhoods probably stretching over what were fields that night. These shepherds are out there doing what they're supposed to be doing, taking care of their sheep. There's a lot of speculation that those sheep were used for sacrifices in the temple at Jerusalem because of Bethlehem's proximity to the city of Jerusalem. They encounter the 
angels and the first word to them is don't fear because the natural reaction was to be scared half out of their mind as it would have been with us had we had you know, one angel is enough, but then when you got thousands upon thousands confronting you, that would scare the life out of you. But God uses fear to develop a listening ear in our lives. And then there's the message. A Savior has been born. And this is the sign, the sign that this Savior has been born. And that must have been a surprise. He didn't say go to Rome and see a mighty Roman legion being led by a new king. He said, go to Bethlehem and you're going to find a baby there. You're going to find a baby in swaddling clothes, which were strips of clothes. And the reason I think the angel told him to go look for the baby with strips of clothes is because that was just a way to say, this is a normal kid that's going to be laying in a manger dressed in a normal way. Now, the manger wasn't exactly where you put your baby because nobody in the right mind back in those days put their baby in a manger where you'd be feeding animals. Well, that's all that they had available. So I want you to go there and I want you to see what God's going to be doing. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 2 beginning with verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out on the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior or a Deliverer who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah. And this will be a sign for you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, those strips of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now, my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin, third page. We'd love for you, if you would, to follow along with us. That night with those shepherds was filled with surprise. First surprise of the night. Who was told and who was told first? The angels and the message of the birth of Jesus first go to the shepherds. Now, who were shepherds in those days? Because the shepherds would have been equally surprised that God would come to them of all people. The shepherds had no political power. They had no religious power. They were not known for their wealth or much of anything else. Aristotle referred to shepherds as the laziest of people who lead an idle life. A lot of Romans believed that shepherds were basically highway robbers because they were so poor in those days that they thought they probably went around robbing in order to make up the money that they needed. Farming at the time of Jesus had increased in popularity and importance to the place that it was now downplaying being a shepherd. And so literally the poorest people in the land were the shepherds because other folks that did agriculture went into farming, not into being shepherds. Tacius, a Roman writer, referred to the shepherds as shabby people. 
there's a pretty good chance that the shepherds were part of what was known as the slave class in those days. Rome was built, the Roman Empire was built on a very pronounced social pyramid. And if you were part of the Roman elite, you were at the top, at the very top with the senatorial class. And as you went down, you had less power and less importance. The slaves and non-Roman citizens were at the bottom of the heap. So if you were Jewish, for example, there was a chance that you were not a Roman citizen. So if these shepherds were not Roman citizens, good chance that they were slaves, they would have been at the bottom of the social class or about as close to the bottom as you could get. They would have been regarded by the Egyptians as having no worth. In fact, Egyptians hated shepherds. The Romans, by and large, looked down on them. And then when it came to the religious establishment of the day, they didn't have much use for shepherds either, and it was for this reason. Because shepherds had to stay down in the field and work 24, day, 24 hours a day being with their sheep, they could not get to Jerusalem. They couldn't get to the synagogue. They could not avail themselves of any of the religious ceremonies of the day. So people who were religious looked at shepherds and they said, you guys don't ever get to the synagogue. You never get to Jerusalem for the festivals and ceremonies. All you do is sit out there with a bunch of stinking sheep all the time and we don't have any use for you. And so they just sort of threw them under the bus. This was the group of people that God chose to go to and bring the message of Jesus' birth. Notice verse 15. This is when the angels went away from them, the shepherds said to one another. The, word, the verb there, said, in the Greek language is in what's called the imperfect tense, and it means to say something over and over and over again. The idea is those shepherds were so excited that if you had been among their company that night, you'd have seen a bunch of guys talking as fast as they can, is almost trachotic type language, saying, we got to go to Bethlehem, we got to go to Bethlehem, we got to go to Bethlehem. Have you ever heard someone talk so fast that the words are just tripping off their tongue and they're struggling to even complete a sentence because they're so excited? That would have been those shepherds. They were super excited. We got to go to Bethlehem and we got to go to Bethlehem as fast as they could. Why were they so surprised? They were surprised to begin with with who God had chosen to bring the message to. He had chosen to bring it to the people who were called the shabby people. He had chosen to bring the message to a bunch of folks that they knew that all of the political establishment and religious establishment looked down on them, didn't think they had any value whatsoever. But God said, you've got value, you've got importance to me, and I'm going to prove it to the whole world tonight because I'm going to bring my angels to your field at this hour in the dark and they're going to announce to you that the Messiah has been born within spitting distance of where you are sitting right now. God is saying to them, I even geographically arranged to put Jesus being born in a manger within just about a football's field length of where you are so that you can get over there quickly and you can get over there Easily, They were shocked at how God had moved and come into their neighborhood. They were surprised about where it was happening. God took a dark field outside a little town and transformed it into a place of tremendous worship. They were surprised at when, in a dark night, nothing significant. But that night, God made it eternally significant because God can show up any place, any time, any way, anywhere he wants to and transform a place into significance with his presence because wherever God shows up is holy ground. And they were surprised at why God had done it.
because God loved them deeply. So many folks distance themselves from God because they don't think that they're important enough for God to bother with them. They don't have the titles, they don't have the position, they don't have the power. And so why God would bother with us? Why would God bother with me? And what God was trying to say to those shepherds that night is, I'm not going to Rome, I'm not going to Jerusalem, and just down the street from where they were was what was called the Herodium, where King Herod hung out with all of his head honchos, probably down there that night. I'm not going to them. I'm coming to you because I'm saying to you how important you are to me. Don't ever allow forces or people or situations in your life to convince you that you are not important to God. Don't look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a shabby person and therefore God doesn't have time for me. Because God is saying to us through these shepherds, listen, there are no shabby people in my agenda, in my value system. You're all of equal importance to me. And God is saying, I can take any old feel in your life and fill it with my glory. The issue is not where you are in life, it's who is with you in life. And I do that because I love you deeply. Notice that the surprise continues. Verse 15. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven. When the angels went away from them into heaven. The angels went away. They didn't stay. If I'd have been a shepherd, and as I began to get into the experience, I'd have wanted the angels to stay. Why could you stay all night? I mean, this is awesome. Thousands of you guys filling the sky, singing your hearts out. Glory of God all around. Why don't you stay? Stay the night. We'll find a way to feed you breakfast tomorrow morning so you can hang around tomorrow. Sometimes we have a hard time adjusting to when God takes the angels back to heaven. God will take us through spiritual experiences and use messengers of His in our lives. And it is awesome, and it is wonderful, and we enjoy it, and we are getting into it, and the glory of God is all around us, and we're saying, God, this is awesome. And about the time we get used to it, and we're enjoying it, and we're getting into it, and we've adjusted to the glory of God and the angels singing around us, God pulls the angels away. And we go back to a dark field with sheep that still stink and still require a whole lot of care and a lifestyle that was the way it always was. You see, they couldn't get to Bethlehem and see Jesus 
until the angels went away. And when the Lord says to us in our lives, I'm going to pull back what you've been experiencing because there's something new and different in the next step you've got to go to, the best thing for us to do is move with Him in that. When the angels left, they had a message. And the message was more important than the angels. Follow me on this. The message of who Jesus was and is was more important than the angels being around them. And His message is always more important and has to take priority over the messenger. It is not the experience. It is the person of Jesus. And when we begin to get caught up in an experience and an era when God's working in our lives in a certain way and God changes that and we say, God, I can't move with you on this. i got to stay where I am. God says the focus is supposed to be me, not the messenger. The force is the message that I'm giving to you. What would have happened if the shepherds had sat on the hillside that night and said, man, this is wonderful and this was great and this is wonderful and we really enjoyed it and we really got into it. And they never got to Bethlehem because they were so busy caught up in the nostalgia of what God had done with the angels. They'd have missed Jesus. Folks, sometimes we get so caught up in what God did and the way that God did it in the past that we end up sitting on our hillsides in the dark talking about what God used to do instead of running ahead to what God says, I want to do in your life. Now when they got to to the uh, stable, (coughs) (coughs) the scriptures tell us that they found Mary and Joseph and the baby and the animals. But they didn't find angels. There were no angel choirs singing at the stable. If you were really into angels, you'd have really been disappointed when you got to the stable. If you were really into big choirs singing, you would have been really disappointed when you got to the stable. If you're really into just getting excited about, you know, the big show, because when you got... To the stable, there was no big show. I mean, I know we, we do the nativity scenes and all that stuff, and we say, oh, it was great. But if you really think about it, when they walked in there, what did they see? They just saw a baby in an animal feeding trough wrapped up in normal clothing with Mary and Joseph and a bunch of animals, which was about as normal of what you could have found in a stable. No angel choirs, no fireworks, And to the average human eye, if you had been walking down the back street that night and seen that and not realized what was going on, that that was the Messiah there, we would have walked right on by because there would have been nothing to say stop and look and see what's going on. When God works in our lives, a lot of times, There are no angel choirs going off in the background. His powerful, significant work is often done in quiet, side street ways and places. And if we're not careful, we miss what God is doing. Because American cultural life today has so trained us and conditioned us that if it's not big and it's not loud 
And if it's not impressive, then it has no value and it is not important. And what God was trying, I think, to say to us is, don't miss what I'm doing because often what I'm doing doesn't look big, is not loud, doesn't look impressive, but that doesn't keep it from being divine. The other night we were Christmas caroling. And we were in one home with one of our senior adults. And I was standing there in my mind thinking, okay, we've got to sing the Christmas carols and we've got to get on to the next place that we're going, et cetera, et cetera. And I happened to look for a split second at that senior adult who was sitting in the chair, can't walk and get around very well at all. And the expression I saw on her face of joy and peace and a sense of being cared for and loved by our church family, et cetera, just sort of grabbed my attention. It was quiet. It wasn't impressive, but you could tell it was penetrating right to where she is. Don't miss what God's doing because it doesn't meet our cultural definition of what's important. It surprised the shepherds that night. The angels were gone, but God's work was carrying on as surely and even more so than it had ever been. Often what God does, He does in quiet but powerful, eternal ways. Now they were surprised at what God had made known to them. I love it when it says that when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Again, they were excited. The Greek language there is, man, they just spitting it out over and over again. And notice what they see and see this thing. The verb translated see there, you might want to write this down, means to perceive and to understand. They're not just saying, I want to go to Bethlehem and see it with my eyes. They're saying, I want to experience what God just told me about. I want to perceive it. I want to understand it. I want to encounter what God's doing. I want to encounter and engage the reality of God and what He's doing. And so they tear down through that field. The idea literally when it says that they left there and they went is that if you had been in the field that night, it would have been a good thing not to stand between Bethlehem and the shepherds because they had knocked you down trying to get to Bethlehem. They were so excited moving through that field. They had what I like to call holy curiosity. I got to get to Bethlehem and I got to see what God is doing. And folks, we need to ask God, Lord, would you fill my life with holy curiosity? I've got to see what you're doing. You see, we're either going to be curious about stuff in life that's going to get us in trouble, or we're going to be curious about what God is doing and move with a holy curiosity to see, to understand, and to experience what he's doing. Now notice what it says, it says, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing, let's see it, perceive it, that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The verb there, the Lord has made known to us. It's a fascinating Greek word that's used over and over and over again in the New Testament. There's two words for know that are used commonly in the New Testament. One of them just means to gain intellectual knowledge. The one that he uses here that is used most often means knowledge by experience. And when they say, we want to go to Bethlehem and see what the Lord's made known to us, they're saying, God, 
has come to us and through the experience of encountering Him, we're excited and we can't wait to get to Bethlehem. They're saying we got more than an intellectual knowledge. We got more than a geography lesson. We have encountered God. And God has told us to go there. God also told them what they were going to see when they got there. He said you're going to find a Savior. The word Savior means deliverer. Now, the Jewish folks were really excited about the Messiah coming because they wanted a political Messiah who was going to break the power of Rome and put them into power. And what God is saying here and what Jesus says for the next 33 years of his ministry is, I have not come to give you the kind of power that you think you need. I have come to give you the power that you really need. And this power is the power to be a deliverer. It is to deliver you from the power of sin. Rome can't even do that. It is to step into your life with the power of Almighty God and to break the power of sin in your life. It is to break the results of the power of sin in your life. And the reason they hustled to Bethlehem, couldn't wait to get there, and stood there and looked at that baby and were so excited is because they realized that he was going to be a deliverer. He was going to deliver them from the power of sin and from the shame and the guilt and the shackles of sin. You see, one thing those shepherds had going for them, they realized they needed a Savior. If they hadn't thought they needed a Savior, they'd have stayed on the hillside and said, nice chorus, angels, good job, we'll give you an A in the music department, and gone back to their sheep. But deep down in their souls, when they heard that a Savior, a deliverer, was over in Bethlehem, they recognized they needed a Savior. And we're not really going to run after Jesus till we realize how much we need Him. Let me give you a warning. Sometimes a lot of religion can inoculate us to our need for Jesus. Well, I'm a good church person. I know the songs. I know the procedure. I've been doing it for a long time. And we forget that it's not knowing the procedures and the rituals and all that. It's about knowing Jesus and loving Jesus and saying to Jesus, I need you. And I need you not to promote me and I need you not to empower me. I need you to break the power of pride in my life. I need you to break the power of sin in my life. I need you, Jesus to break the power of guilt and shame in my life. I need you to step into my life and do in my life what only you can do in breaking the power of sin, breaking the power of addiction, breaking the powers that are holding me in bondage. Jesus, I really need you. And God is going to work in our lives to put us on some dark fields and make us desperate so that we say to Him, Jesus, 
I need you. And as the body of Christ, he works in us to bring us to the place where we say to him, Jesus, we need you. And nothing else and no one else will do Jesus but you. And when God gets us to that place, it's not a place to be desperate and give up. It is a place where he begins to do a work in us. So God is full of surprises. And maybe one of his surprises this Christmas is the work that he wants to do in your life. Maybe the surprise this Christmas for you is he's saying, hey, I've come to your life and I'm showing up in your life because I've got a purpose for your life. I've got a work I want to do in your life. I've got a new beginning for you in life. I just need you to realize how much you need me. I just need for you to let holy curiosity take control of who you are and run after what I've got for you and live in and discover what I have for you and more than anything else, discover who I am. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to ask you, The Lord just pour over us a holy curiosity. And Lord, we want to ask you to help sensitize us to how you want to surprise us. And Lord, when there are seasons in our lives when you choose to take the angels away, that we have to go searching for your glory, we don't just have it exploding all around us. God, help us to realize in those moments that you have not left us and that you don't have not withdrawn your love from us. You love us as much as you ever have. But Lord, you have a new, deeper, richer experience of who you are that we need to search out. Lord, thank you for a bunch of so-called shabby people that you came to And you said, I love you. And I want to start a work in your life tonight. That's what you say to us, Jesus. And we bless you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you need to give your life to the Lord Jesus, I want to invite you in a moment as we sing to walk the aisle of this church and say, Pastor, today I want to just pray and give my life to Jesus and follow him. I, I want to experience the surprise of who he is and what he wants to do in my life. And if you're here and sense that God's leading you to become part of our church family, we invite you to come and join us here as we serve the Lord together. If you want to come, just kneel and pray. The altar is always is open. Lord, have your way with us now as we respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand together and sing, come if you will.